Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Welcome to Make It Clear, and I'm so glad that you could be with us. I want to thank you for listening to us as often as you can. You know our program is designed with you in mind and to help you to know the Lord and to grow in the Lord as well. Now, our programs mostly cover what we call life application Bible teaching. That's where we take you through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in a way that you could know what the Word of God has to say, but also how the Lord would want you to apply it to your life so that your life becomes a spiritual influence to others and you get to know Him more intimately as well. But also on our program, we have different people that we like to interview. People that really have history, which is really his story in their life, which is God's story in their life. We do that because we want those interviews to encourage you, to instruct you, but to have a real inspiration in your life. And we've had a wonderful time interviewing a lot of great people. Well, today we're going to do something different. Not that I'm a great person, but we receive a lot of questions. Who are you, Stan? And how did you get started? And what is your faith journey? And Where's Make It Clear Ministries going? Things like that. Well, I've asked a very special friend who also happens to be the vice president of ministry here at Make It Clear Ministries. He's been with us for many years, and he really has a heart turned toward the Lord. You'll never know him, but every time you listen to Make It Clear or you follow us on social media or any part of Make It Clear Ministries, He's the biggest one behind the scenes, making us sound good as best as he can with what he has to work with. Well, today, I've invited him to not just be behind the scenes, but also in front of the microphone. So I've asked him if he would interview me, and uh, there's no script. I'm not really sure what he's going to be asking and where we're going to be going, but it should be fun. So I want to introduce you now to my dear friend, fellow colleague, and co-labor in Christ with Make It Clear Ministries, and that is John Bame. John, welcome to Make It Clear. Well, thanks, Stan. I really appreciate allowing me to ask these questions of you today. I think the listeners are going to really be excited to hear what you have to say and talk about Make It Clear and, and how it became the ministry that it is and how you got to where you are today. So I'm really excited about that. Well, thank you. And um, so just go ahead and fire away. I'm kind of excited to know a little bit about what you're going to ask and uh, have an opportunity to share what God's been doing in my life all these years. I think I've found that generally speaking, it's always best to start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about where you were born, where you were brought up, and a little bit of that part of your life. Well, I like to humorously say I was born very close to my mother, you know, if you know what I mean. But actually, I was born in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago called Downers Grove, which is near Wheaton. And many of you know of that. And Downers Grove is the home of InterVarsity Press. But not because my family was ministry-minded. It was just because they became what they were first generation Americans. I would be a second generation America American. They came from Switzerland and Czechoslovakia at the turn of the century. So I was born in Chicago. From Chicago, you ended up moving to Florida at some point in time. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Sure. My dad was in the painting contractor industry, you might say. He owned his own company and he did a lot of work in Chicago, as did his uh, family. And so we were well established there. But the weather, those cold, windy winters, really was taking a toll on my father, whom I loved dearly. And so he decided that it was time for the family to move south. And in those days, in the 50s, a lot of folks were migrating further south. And we ended up migrating to what we would call North Miami Beach, Florida. So we were in South Florida in the Miami area. We did that in 1958 when I was eight years old, and it was quite an experience in a positive way. You moved down to Miami. You didn't know many people down there, and from what I know of you, you became a surfer at some point in time. What drew you to surfing? Yeah, what made me do that as a sport? Well, it's interesting you should ask. I happen to be not a healthy person when I was younger. The childhood sicknesses that people get really took a toll on me, so I spent a lot of time uh, alone, uh, Sometimes in the hospital, sometimes at home in my own room, recuperating, etc. So I wasn't a strong, healthy, you know, athlete. So I didn't really get involved in team sports. A little bit of little league, but not much. And so I, I kind of rolled in the direction of something that I could do athletically, but is not so much a team sport, which would be surfing. And so I found that uh, being uh, involved in surfing was good. It was healthy. It was a water sport. I enjoyed it. I can do it by myself. I can do it at any time. Didn't have to connect with schedule or anything. So with all of that, that got me into surfing, which I have literally done since I was probably 12 years old all the way till now and surfed in Florida and California, Hawaii. And uh, that has been a uh, fun part of my life, but it didn't drive my life. And I guess the important question that most surfers would want to know is, Longboard or shortboard? <laughs> Good question. I'm an old-fashioned longboarder. This would be without leashes. And so when you lost your board and you had a wipeout, you swam to the beach. Did you have any close calls while you were uh, doing surfing? I did. In fact, the Lord used one of those to really awaken me to the brevity of life, we might say. One of those happened to be where I was on a wave, and, and you, the guy who's on the wave, there's certain known who has the right of way in a wave, and I had that right of way, but I couldn't get uh, off the, the wave the way I wanted to, so I had a horrible wipeout. And when I did, I came to the surface, and usually you look to the, uh, to the shore to see if your board is there, and it was, and I looked back out to the sea, the ocean and uh, the by then the next wave came and slung it up against my face and knocked my teeth out my front teeth all of that you know it's a bad situation but during that time when I was underwater I really realized I could die and listeners I wonder if you ever went through something like that where there was something that you really thought that you might really die well I did and I grew up in a home where my dad said good boys go to heaven and bad boys go to hell and Stan if you're good you'll go to heaven but if you're bad you'll go to hell and then dad said you're bad so I was afraid of dying and going to hell because I know I wasn't perfect so underwater I just cried out to the Lord and I said Lord I want to know what do I really need to do so that I could know that when I die I'll go to heaven so that whole surfing thing God wrapped it around a way that he could awaken me to my need of salvation to have me cry out to him to have that way shown to me. I assume that you didn't get that answer right then while you were underwater. No, there was no voice underwater, no voice from God. It was just, I I planted that prayer at the feet of God and just waited on him to give me that answer. But I waited fearfully because I, I didn't get it yet and I still didn't know. And so I was still afraid of dying. So I, I know that your family wasn't one that attended church a lot and you weren't really brought up in a Christ-driven home, but you were brought up in a 
home that you felt loved. And we've talked a little bit about your father, and your father had a lot of influence on you. Tell us a little bit about your dad. My dad was a good man. He was a moral man. I never saw him drunk. I'd never seen him ogle another woman. He had uh, great discipline in his life, but he also wanted his uh, sons and daughter to really grow up with a with a moral life. But also, I respected my dad. We might say you, you'd fear your dad. Not an unusual fear, but there was that fear. Uh, one of the most unusual things happened is when I did come to Christ, and I had an encounter with my dad within hours of trusting Christ. So, you say you came to Christ. Tell us a little bit about that. Now, I've heard your testimony on that, and obviously you'll, you'll explain that a little bit, but maybe go into a little bit of the heartfelt things that were happening at that time as well. Why you were so receptive to the gospel. Well, again, we mentioned how I was afraid of dying, but somewhere along the line, um, I would like to say that I had a God consciousness. I remember as a kid growing up, much younger, I would say my prayers every day. I never mocked religion or God or people like that. So there was a sensitivity to that. So while I didn't know the Lord, I wanted to know more about it. And so I could remember that as I prayed for that, I was invited out to a meeting and I didn't make that meeting, oddly enough. And when I came back to school, the next day, the person said, hey, we missed you at this meeting, which was a Bible study, but I, d- I didn't go to it. And I was really crying out to God the Saturday before then. And the Lord, again, brought different uh, radio preachers. I was reading a book about Hawaii and the missionaries there, although that book is really kind of off message of the truth of the history of the missionaries in Hawaii, but they did have missionaries. But I never knew, again, how to have eternal life. And I always questioned, where will I go when I die? Until a very special thing happened to me when I was in class at high school. I, I know the story, and I know who this person was that you had in that class. Tell us who that person is, not necessarily revealing who they are now. Who is that person? In school, I took a course, and it was called Public Speaking, Speech and Debate. And I was driven by that, unusually, because I felt like I'd like to go into radio broadcasting. Had no ministry in mind. I wasn't trying to be a movie star, a TV star, anything like that. I wanted to go into broadcasting, whether it was sports, weather, news, more of a broadcasting. So I took it for that reason. I knew speech would help me then, as well as how to do it extemporaneously and all of that. But I was still in surfing. So I sat in the back of the classroom near the window, determining what the weather would be like, because that generally determined what the waves might be like in South Florida. But oddly enough, for whatever reason, the teacher said, hey, Stan, you in the back of the room, I want you to sit up here. And literally, I was in one corner of the room, and she moved me diagonally all the way to the other side of the room. I wasn't bad but I was distracted. And so she wanted me to be up closer to the front of the room. And so she put me right in the front of the room. While I was sitting there in the front of the room after a month or so, they had us do speeches. And what caught my eye was when they had us speak on what did we do in the summer? Well, of course, I gave my speech, what I did in the summer, I surfed and where I surfed and all that kind of stuff. And the girl, though, got up sat next to me and she then stood up and said, I went to a Christian camp and at this camp there were high school football players and cheerleaders and we were all learning the Bible together and how that we could know we have eternal life by trusting Christ as Savior. I thought to myself, this is kind of weird, these religious people, but they look pretty normal. In fact, pretty sharp athletes, cheerleaders, good looking people, people that seem to have their life together, but they knew something about Christ that I didn't. So that piqued my interest, but that's about as far as it went. Well, the next thing that happened is she then 
asked all the people that are around her, all the kids around her, and said, you want to go to youth meeting? You want to go to youth meeting? You want to go to youth meeting? And uh, she said to me, Stan, would you go? And I said, yeah. She said, anybody who goes with me, I will buy their ticket to the major state championship football game in the Miami Orange Bowl. That dates it, I know, because it's called different now. But anyway, so I said, I'd go. Here's a good-looking gal. She's going to invite me out to a ball game. But then she went a little further, and she says, I'm going to take you to the ball game if you will go with me to what is known as a fifth quarter. Now, you got four quarters of the football game, but the fifth quarter was this Bible study, this youth meeting. Then it was called Christian Youth Ranch. So I thought, yeah, I can endure that, although my mind said, who studies their Bible? A bunch of religious rejects, so to speak, but I can endure that. Well, the funny thing that happened when she showed up at our do my door, she came in a Corvair Monza, a little sports car back then, a 64 version of it, but she didn't date me. All she did was invite me to go out with her, and she had her girlfriend on the front seat in the bucket seat, and I had to sit in the back so there wouldn't be any mis mixed messages that was going on. So I showed up at the football game with her, and then afterwards I said, okay, you can take me home now. And she said, you know what? You promised you'd go to the youth meeting. And I went to that youth meeting, John, and I'm telling you, it was really different than I could ever imagine in a good way. The meetings that you went to, you say that they're different in a good way. How are they different from other meetings or how you envisioned it to be? Well, again, I thought it'd be a handful of kids sitting on the floor with a big 25-pound family Bible, flipping through it, uh, talking about some myths or stories and some distant years ago kind of thing, eons ago. And so I just thought that what it would be like. But I knew something was wrong when we pulled up to the church that it met in. We couldn't even find a parking place. Now we're talking 1030 at night now after the game. And so she drove around a little bit, found a little place to stick her little Corvair in and all that. And then we walked in the door because it already the kids were already there because the ball game went late and a lot of traffic, all of that. And they're all seated on the floor. It looked like wall-to-wall -wall human carpeting, if you know what I mean. But they were singing, vibrantly, focused. It wasn't like they were made to sing. It was like they wanted to sing, and they were singing songs about Jesus Christ. They were singing songs about going to heaven. They were singing songs about life as we should live it. And it was exciting, clapping and all that. Well, we found a seat, and as I looked up at the front, from one end of the room to the other end in the front were guitar players and guys and gals playing instruments, and they were singing. But I also noticed there was an older man, and he was sitting on a, like a stool you'd have in your kitchen. And on his lap was a very well-worn Bible. Well, as they did it, they took the music that was very vibrant, and they allowed the music to slow down, to kind of bring us down to a maybe what we call a, a worshipful spirit. And then everybody went to sit down amongst their friends, uh, the ones on the team. And the guy said, you know what? I imagine there are some people here that were at the ball game. Do we have any football players at the game that would like to share their testimony? I don't any testimony. I didn't know what that meant. But different ones were popping up their hands, and he was picking on them, and these ball players were saying, you know what? I know that I'm going to heaven. Immediately when they said that, I remembered I wanted to know. I didn't know. They knew I need to listen. 
So I did. And all they said was simply they knew they were going to heaven, that they know they've done things wrong, but all they had to do was to trust Christ as their Savior for the forgiveness of sin, and they got that. And I kept thinking, no, that can't be. These guys can't really know, because I know that you know football players, what they say and all that stuff when they drop the football and all that. Not saying those guys did it, but I just know what they were. Well, the next thing, he had cheerleaders get up. They said the same thing. They were going to heaven, but I didn't pay much attention because they were so good looking. I was just looking at them. Well, after they sat down, he then opened that well-worn Bible, John, and he didn't just jump in and start preaching some stuff for the Bible. He said, I know in a crowd like this, with teenagers present, that there will be those who question the accuracy of the Bible. Is it really God's word? And so then he went through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and began to show us that the Bible is truth, that it is historically accurate, it is prophetically accurate, it is archaeologically accurate, that it really has the saleability of it. If it was uh, fake, we wouldn't have the Bible today. It had been kind of thrown away a long time ago. But the most important thing he said is when you engage the word of God, you'll know Jesus Christ is your Savior. It will change your life. And I thought, man, this book must be very powerful after he objectively proved it to us and then subjectively proved it to us. So now I'm really leaning in and I'm thinking, I sure hope this guy now tells me what I need to do to go to heaven because I'm really wanting to know that. There's enough there I'm seeing God putting it together. And my, what a great job he did as explaining that message of salvation. Did you trust Christ as Savior at that point in time or did you have to go home, think about it or... Well, I, I know that God will work in a person's life on God's timetable, and he knows our days before we were ever born. So at different times, people might uh, engage Christ, trust Christ as Savior. But for me, how that happened is after he gave that message of salvation, he then concluded it with a prayer, etc. And we all stood up, and the majority, the vast majority of kids ran out into the parking lot. They had big uh, volleyball stuff set up, and they were playing ball. But this gal who brought me was pretty smart. She didn't just let me run out there. So she uh, held my arm and she said, do you mind if I ask you a question, Sam? I said, go ahead. She said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, sure. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I heard that message. I know. Now, she was smart enough not to say, hey, give me a high five. That's great. And assume that I'm a Christian. She wanted to probe the real reality of it in my mind. And so she said, all right, how many birthdays do you need to have in order to go to heaven? Well, I was 16 at the time, so I thought, well, 16. I need 16 birthdays and I'll go to heaven. And then she said, well, that, I guess that's true if you trusted Christ and you died today. But she said, but how many birthdays do you need to have in order to go to heaven? Well, I didn't know that one. And so then she says, you need two birthdays. She said, the first birthday is when you're born in your mom and dad's family. And she said, obviously, you're born in your mom and dad's family. You're here. But you need a second birthday to go to heaven. And that's when you're born into God's family. Ah, I didn't know what that meant. She said, that's when you're kind of born the second time. And that happens when you trust Christ as your Savior. And so now how many birthdays do you need to have to go to heaven? I said, two. But that still didn't satisfy her. So she says, let me probe a little bit different, differently. And so what she had was a little pamphlet that said, am I going to heaven? Check below what you think is necessary, like a little quiz. So I opened it up and I looked at it. What do I need to do? And it had 18 different things on there of what a person needed to do to go to heaven. 
Well, as I read through those, I knew that none of those would get me to heaven. It wasn't by works. It wasn't by religious works. It wasn't by any of that that it had in there. But I thought nobody would print a pamphlet without the right answer on it. So I asked for her pen and I checked every one of those, all 18. Check it, check it, check, check, check. And I was so proud. I handed it back to her because I knew I was into heaven now because I got it right. She was so kind and loving. She didn't say, ah, Stan, you failed. No, she said, a lot of people do what you did, but let me show you what the right answer is. So she showed me that none of those things would get me to heaven. There was verse after verse after verse after verse that said, no good deed I do myself will get me to heaven. Then she flipped it to the back that had that magical, mystical, but accurate answer, which is simply Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. And for us to have eternal life, all we must do to do this is to place our faith in Jesus Christ for the full forever forgiveness of sin. Well, that night, right then, it all made sense. So at that moment, I realized that all I needed to do was trust Christ as Savior. So I would say that night, John, I trusted Christ as Savior. And in her special way, she led me to Christ, although the Spirit of God and the gospel all worked within me. And, and I really trusted Christ then. And I was so full of joy that I knew, I knew, I knew I was going to heaven because of what Christ did for me. Well, that's wonderful because many people have that same question that you've had. Your explanation of what the requirements are for heaven are probably much different than many people think they are. The simple faith in Christ alone is truly what gets you to heaven. But a lot of people use their salvation as fire insurance. Mm -hmm. It gets me out of hell and I, mm -hmm. I get to go to heaven, but I'm going to go live my life as I please. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care. Is that what you did? That's a good question because a lot of people might think that and that could be true because the Bible does say we're all sinners and because we're sinners by nature and choice we're, we're separated from him and when we die we'll spend eternity separated from him in a horrible place called hell but that to go to heaven we got to be perfect but we're not and that's why Jesus says I'll take all your sin on myself I will do the work you can't do in order for you to have eternal life so he did it all and then he comes back and he says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done but it's by faith in Christ and that God loved me and all I had to do was to trust him as savior so for me that night was yes uh, fire insurance I guess you could say because I knew that I would not go to hell and suffer you know damnation and condemnation forever and ever. But it wasn't a, hey, now I can go out and live as I please response. It was like, why didn't someone tell me this? Why am I hearing this for the first time? And then I got thinking, if I'm hearing this for the first time, that must mean that the other people in my life don't know this because... I'm assuming this, that if they did know this, they would be telling me this, and they never did. So I immediately said, Lord, I want to thank you for dying for me on the cross, but kind of like, I want to live a thank you life by telling others because I wasn't told. That was, for me, the motivation that got me going. Now, since then, I've learned a lot more from the Bible and the kind of motivations that the Lord would expect, but I don't think the one that I had was such a bad one because I loved others, and I loved the Lord, and I wanted them to know. So I left that meeting, and I headed home. I know part of the story is when you got home. Tell us about that part of the story. It was late. Remember the ball game after the ball game and the youth meeting was almost an hour from my house. So I finally am dropped off and um, now I'm going in the door and I'm just, you can't imagine what it's like for someone who is afraid of dying now not to be afraid of dying. No, he's going to heaven. A whole brand new experience because I never was reared in church. I come in the front door and I was met by my dad. 
Now, my dad was a good man, and he, he always would go to bed early because he was a hard worker in construction, all of that kind of stuff, but he waited up for me, and it was about 1 o'clock. His first question is, where were you? And I told him about the ball game, and then he said, why don't you come home after the ball game? I told him about the Bible study, and uh, because he never went to church or anything, he didn't know much about it, but he was a little angry that I was up late because I had to go to work the next day. And he said, well, what did you learn in the Bible study? And then it came out. I mean, it just, I remember, I was so excited. I said, Dad, you'll never believe what happened to me tonight. I learned tonight that I'm going to heaven, but you're going to hell. And of course, when you do that to a dad, I'll tell you, I, I popped his bubble of pride. And when that happened, it exploded on me. And I have to tell you that I, I did all the wrong things. I, my heart was right. I wanted to go to heaven, but I never was taught how. So we danced around the table for, I don't know how long and calmed each other down and but he didn't trust Christ, of course. I, I didn't say it right and all of that. But that was um, a beginning of a little bit longer journey with him until he came to faith in Christ. Well, we kind of skipped over the young lady that introduced you to the Bible study. And tell us a little bit about her. Did that relationship go on? Did you see her again? What happened there? Well, um, obviously, I was very grateful for her inviting me out. And I didn't have a Bible. We didn't, we never, I, I didn't know anything about a Bible. But I remember as she was taking me home, I said, this is so good. And she said, would you like to go next week? And I said, yes. And uh, But for whatever reason, um, she did not say, uh, could I pick you up? You know, no, it wasn't. It just got to go next week. I was blessed because I had a little car, a little old used car. And I said, you know what? I, I, I'll come myself next week. Well, that didn't happen. I came with a whole carload of kids because I wanted everybody to hear this message. But I somehow found her in the crowd and wanted her to see that I brought some friends and wanted them to meet the friends, all that kind of stuff. And then afterwards, she went home. I dropped my friends off, but I went back to her house and then we prayed. And then week after week, we began to pray together, etc. Remember, I trusted the Lord in November by Christmas. She gave me my very first gift, which was a Bible, an old Schofield Bible. And she had on the flyleaf of it, she wrote, either sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Hide these words in your heart and that way you won't sin against the Lord. Now, she didn't want me to sin because I'd lose my salvation or something. She doesn't want me to do that. Well, that happened month after month, year after year. And through a series of events, we realized we really love each other. And so now she is my wife. Can you imagine this now? 51 years, she's my wife. And so we lovingly say, yes, she is my sister in Christ because we have Jesus and God as our father. And then she's my wife. But in a special way, she's also my mother, you know, so she has helped me in those early years to focus on the Lord, to know the importance of fellowshipping in a good church and reminding me the importance of having an, a deeper life of getting in the word of God and praying, but also reminding us that we're saved to say so. We don't just have a no-so salvation. We have a say-so salvation. And from then on, we just have been in ministry literally ever since we were in high school. So we're high school sweethearts, but we were already serving the Lord uh, together. And uh, that's been our life ever since. And I'm so grateful. So uh, publicly, I just want to say thank you, Carol, for your love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, all that you've given to me to help me be who I am today. Well, that's a love story. And in so many ways, she was able to bring you to a point where you could hear the gospel, accept Christ as your Savior. You became friends and later on married. 
Now, I first met you probably around 1976 when you were teaching at Florida Bible College. You didn't just start teaching there right after you uh, got saved and got married. So tell me what your journey was to get to Florida Bible College and eventually become a teacher there. Well, um, it began with a continual um, heartbeat for my friends. Basically, I was their age. But it also came with... uh, ignorance of the Bible y'all couldn't understand. I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. When I sat next to Carol before I got my own Bible, she would um, go to a Bible passage as the leader was speaking, and I would read the passage, but then I'd read all the verses after, and i keep reading all the pages that were after until he told us to turn to another passage. And so she knew I didn't have a Bible. So at that time, I really was so grateful for the Word of God that she's given to me. And then I got a little booklet called Our Daily Bread, and then also the little study booklets from Radio Bible class back then, and I would devour them. It was almost immediately that I chose to read the Bible, the Old Testament in the morning before I went to school, the New Testament at night before I went to sleep. So I began this journey with the Lord from the inside out, we might say, from really knowing His Word and wanting to know His Word as ignorant as I was. But I also knew that I'd like to communicate the Word, and it's still that radio thing, but it kind of, it didn't die, but it wasn't as focused on you know, TV news and weather and all that stuff, but it was still communicating. And then I thought, you know, I'd love to teach teenagers. So as a teenager, as I went to the youth meeting, it was to learn, but it was also, how do you work with teenagers? Because I wanted to have a Bible study just like the one that we had in, in my own little convoluted way. I thought, I want to lead one. I don't want to just attend one. So we started going to, every time my parents would let me go out at night, Carol and I would go to Bible studies. We didn't do dating. I, maybe that was dating. I don't know. But whatever it was, we didn't go to movies. We didn't do any other stuff. We just went to Bible studies. We'd take notes, bring our friends. I learned how to play the guitar there to play, you know, uh, Christian songs that we could sing together at the youth meetings. Learned how to begin to put together a message. And even thought about going off to seminary or Bible college. But all of a sudden, Satan started to stop me. And he began to use my dad. My dad was in business for a long time. So what he wanted was a legacy family in the same family business of construction. Even the the uh, painting contractorship was named after my dad. So they kept that name going in it as well in Miami. We did a lot of work in Miami Lakes when, the, when it was just a cow pasture and they were starting to build it. So he did all of that and a lot of commercial work, hotels, a lot of things like that. And so he was going to kind of bring his sons into the business. My brother was already there in it, and I was to do it. And I had to come in one day, and I sat my brother down and my dad down, and I said, what do you think I should do when I get out of school? And I was shocked. They said, well, obviously we want you in the business. But I said, yeah, but what else could I do? And they said, you know what, Stan? We watched you. My brother was much older than me. He said, you ought to be either a preacher or a teacher. I had no idea that already there was these, um, uh, I guess, manifestations or whatever you want to call it, that I I had a a direction in the preaching and teaching. So about six months later, I announced to my dad that I'd go to Bible college. And he says, all right, try it for a year. If that doesn't work for you, then you can come into the business again. The only other caveat is when you're not at school all summer long, after school and on weekends, you will work. So I really had a lot to do to learn the Bible, have a side job 
and also have the extracurricular stuff that I needed to do for ministry as I headed into Bible college. So I began Bible college in 1968. Well, that tells a little bit about where you get your work ethic, Stan. Uh, You're one of the hardest working people I know, and it seems that that was instilled in you when you were quite young. So you, you started attending Florida Bible College, and that was back in the Miami Grove era of Florida Bible College. And did you graduate from there, or did you move up to Hollywood uh, and graduate, or...? How did that happen? The school began in 1962, but by 1968, the place was packed. They needed more room, and so they were looking for property. And the old but very historic Hollywood Beach Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard in A1A came up for sale. And they got it at a fire sale. I think they paid only a million five for it or something. You can imagine this historic building that was built in 1926 now, very, very well built. And so when they bought it, it was in 1972, and so I was in the middle of my junior year so I did move up with them and so I completed it in 1972 but while I was there besides learning this I, I was involved in student government and then I was involved in starting different youth ministries. I remember one we started uh, in 71. That summer, I took six kids and I trained them all summer long about reaching others and living a life for the Lord and knowing the Bible and what we would do, what the youth ministry would look like, and then how we would vision this thing to be. And it took me all that time to take those six kids. And then we launched it in September of 71 when the kids went back to school. And by March, we were averaging 418 junior high kids uh, at the meetings, and it was a stellar thing. So that's how I got into youth and was speaking and government, and occasionally I'd speak in chapel. And whenever there was an opportunity where I could do a Bible study or something, I, I wanted to speak and tell people what God was giving me and my time with him in the Word. God was giving you the opportunity to be that communicator that you wanted to be, but maybe in a different way than you thought it ever could be. As you moved through Florida Bible College, you eventually graduated, you became a a teacher there, and Make It Clear started sometime in that time frame. Is that correct? It really did. And and I like to talk about how that began, but I need to go back just for a moment because it is tied very much together. I was concerned that as I spoke, that I might not be scratching the listeners where they itch, that I was not communicating uh, the Word of God. And so it was even back then I began this mantra that I want to speak accurately or correctly, clearly, but also with urgency. I wanted people to respond to what we're saying right here. So when I was doing those little Bible studies when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, I invited one of the best speakers that was a faculty member at Florida Bible College to come to my youth meeting uh, unannounced whenever he wanted to, sit in the back, and I wanted him to evaluate my communication skills. And so then after it was all over, everybody went home, but 10 o'clock at night, we found a little coffee shop and he would take out his yellow tablet and he would then say, Stan, you did good here. You should have said it this way. You might want to begin it this way. So even then the Lord was privately grooming me so that I could speak better. I'm forever grateful to Bruce Porter, who has been a part of my life to help me to do that. And in fact, later on when Carol and I got married, he was in our um, our 
wedding, and we did eventually attend his Bible study as well. Now, that being said, that got me into this whole mode of, I need to present the Word of God clearly. Now, what kept that going, though, was that Florida Bible College and its graduates were also concerned about the accuracy, clarity, and urgency of the gospel. And so I was surrounded by others that was always, were always listening to whoever spoke. Did they give it biblical? Was it correct? And then was it clear? Could I understand it? And then finally, did he really care if I even understood it correctly? Was it urgent? So we were kind of born with that. Well, then the strange thing happened. How did make it clear get born? Well, again, God does wonderful things. And I need to pause you listeners. I want you to know, be aware, be alert, not only to Satan, who's a roaring lion around you, but also be alert to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, who is bringing things into your life, taking things out of your life, because he wants to use you in some special way, because you are unique. You are divinely designed. So I'm now teaching a night school class at Florida Bible College. I've graduated, and uh, the class had lay people in it from the community of Hollywood, students that needed to get an extra credit or something. So they were in the class. And at the end of one of the classes, uh, a gentleman came up and he says, you know, you've had a profound influence on my life. And I, I want to do something with you. And is there anything we can do to serve the Lord? And, and what? Here, here's what I got. I'm a major sales representative for a major paper company. And I get paper that's free, lots of paper for free. And I don't know what to do with it. Do you know what you could do with this thing? And when God brings something that's free to you, immediately ask yourself, how can I use this for the Lord? So what do you do with paper? Well, I said, I'll print literature. Okay. And of all the literature you could print, what do you think is probably the most important? A pamphlet that will explain the plan of salvation so that a person could read it with the Word of God in there and the Spirit of God and then come to faith in Christ. So we began doing little pamphlets. And one of those pamphlets was, why didn't someone tell me? And we call that ministry Soul Winning Ministries. So I will forever thank Gene Ledbetter, who God brought into my life. And there's a lot more with that and how God brought him from one denomination that was really unclear, actually inaccurate, and brought him through a life journey that now he is a pastor serving in North Carolina with his sweet wife, Gail. Now back to that, that started with a pamphlet ministry. And then we began to add other things into make it clear ministries, plural, after that. And there's quite a story uh, in the name, uh, Make It Clear Ministries, and we'll probably touch on that a little bit later to how God used that name in different ways. But as you started this track ministry, Make It Clear morphed into some other things. What was the next chapter in Make It Clear Ministries? All right, after we did that, we knew we needed to have a booklet. And so I thought, okay, now that we believe, what do we do? Bingo, that's the name of the booklet, Now That You Believe. Well, what do you do now that you believe? And it was a booklet that talked about how to read, not just read your Bible, how to read your Bible, how to meditate in the word, how to pray, not just pray, how to fellowship. What kind of fellowship should you really be having? How to share your faith, not share your faith, but how to do it. So it was now that you believe, what do you do? So we got that. And then we started thinking maybe we could do radio. But by then, my, my life began to take a journey away from Florida Bible College because of uh, deep family need. And um, what happened is that we moved to North Carolina, and Carol's sister at the time was 33 and was dying of cancer. And so we needed to be there for the family because the husband wasn't doing much and other things. So we moved up there 
And that was a life experience of training and grooming for me way back in the mountains of Western North Carolina, literally. But as I was getting to do this, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could now put together a radio program that listeners could listen to and they would hear little vignettes on how to share their faith, how to open a conversation, how to move it into the gospel, what the gospel is, how to close the conversation, how do you bring it to a decision, what do you do next, how do you handle questions or oppositions to the Bible, those kinds of things. And But I didn't want it to be a full-length program. I just wanted it to be a, like a five-minute program, a minute, minute of intro, minute of exit, and three minutes of teaching. But I wanted it five days a week with fresh material every single day. Well, televangelism, a national ministry at the time, was teaching me how to condense what I wanted to say in just a few minutes. And so that helped me do that. But I thought, how in the world are we going to do this on radio? I have no money. We have nothing. Don't even have equipment to record it. Nothing was there. And so I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what do you think I should do? He said, Stan, it's better to expand when you have money in hand. I thought, ooh, that's good. So then I waited, and about a month later, I went across a trade journal that had a particular recording piece of equipment in there, and it was a discounted rate. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, you are such a wise man. This is at a reduced rate, and because I waited, based on your influence in my life, I can get it cheaper, so I should get it now. And he said, well, you can, but I said, once you have all the equipment. Well, I didn't have all the equipment. I just had this one recorder here and I needed more. So I said, I'm going to take my dad at his word. I'm going to trust the Lord and do what dad said, even though I didn't understand. I'm kind of scratching my head. Didn't that make sense to wait? It's cheap right now. Let's get this and start. And uh, But I waited. We left North Carolina after Carol's sister passed and the family was stabilized. And we went to San Antonio, Texas. The vision never left me for radio and this make it clear thing. Now we hadn't started our ministry called Make It Clear, but now it's starting to get a little bit more focus. So I went to the local radio station. It was a actually a big Christian radio station on their FM dial. It was real popular in the city at the time. It was two of them. And I talked to the guy who headed up the program or the, the station. He was so excited about this. He said, you know what? We need this program. You've never done it before. So why don't you use our equipment? I will give you a key to this office building. I will give you a key to our recording studio. You can come and go and my technicians will show you how to record this. In fact, we'll do this for you and you can broadcast. So make it clear the radio program launched in San Antonio, and then it went other places, other stations in San Antonio. The, the, the historical Christian station in San Antonio is KDRY, and so we love the people there. We've been on that station now for many years. They've got a great program, great, great audience as well. So that started us in our early broadcast days with Make It Clear. Now, I'll make this quick. It was five minutes a day, five days a week. Then we started to do a live call-in talk show, and then that morphed into longer programs, and we were on the, uh, every day we were on the air because people really wanted what we had, that really what God gave to us, we were just giving it to them through our program, Make It Clear. That was the name of the program. So then we needed to come up with a better name for our ministry, and we called it Make It Clear Ministries. I want to take a little bit of a rabbit trail here, Stan. Sure. It sounds like your dad was a great influence in your life, even as you started the ministry after you were saved. At this point in time, was your dad saved? No, he really wasn't. He, a moral man, for sure. 
we had a good relationship. Uh, my dad did a lot with me um, to really demonstrate a father's role in my life. I, he, his dad died when he was 16, and so he didn't have a lot of modeling. So however dad got it, he was hitting home runs with me, spending time teaching me how to drive, teaching me how to throw a baseball, and all of that. But he never knew Christ as Savior, and that really burdened me, especially after I graduated and I was teaching personal evangelism as a course at Florida Bible College. I could lead others to Christ. I can train others to lead people to Christ, but I couldn't even lead my own dad to the Lord. And so Carol and I became more and more burdened about this, and I needed to be more intentional. So I said, let's pray about it. So I announced it to the class if they would pray for my dad's salvation. And then Carol and I would covenant to pray every night before we went to sleep for dad's salvation. And of course, in my quiet time, but nothing really happened. And then I had this idea, I don't know how long, maybe a couple months later, whatever. Why don't I take my dad out to dinner and not try to lead him to Christ, just try to love him to Christ. And so we met at a restaurant and it was odd because I came in the front door and dad was, um, they had, you know, these restaurants are family restaurants, but they have a little bar, a little section over there where people can get something to drink. And dad was there. And I was, I didn't know if I wanted to go up to the bar. Here am I, I'm a professor at Florida Bible college. The school is about a mile and a half away, 15, 1800 students. Someone's bound to see me do this. And so I thought, I don't know, but I thought, well, my dad needs Christ and Jesus ate with publicans and sinners as a purpose to reach them, not as just have fellowship. And I'm going there to reach my dad. So I walked across the threshold into this little bar area. And as soon as I did, my dad turned around again. He was not a drunk or anything. He said, oh, Stan, I'm so glad to see I missed you. And he then said quietly that what I would do, he said, um, you know, Stan, I know you don't feel comfortable right here. So, so how about if um, we meet in the restaurant? So he sat in the restaurant and dad then very lovingly said, I'm so glad we could get together and he started talking. And I began to ask him a lot of questions about his life, his business, and what he did. So I got him talking about himself, and I was interested to know. And he went on and on and on and on. And then at the end, he said, well, Stan, I've talked too much about me. What you've been doing with your life? And I thought, oops, here's my chance. I asked God for an open door, as Colossians chapter 4 says. I've asked God for boldness, like Ephesians said. And so if I got boldness in this, I'm asking God now for clarity. So I said, Dad, I teach people how they can know for sure they can go to heaven when they die. And I share that all over the country and, and in my class. And he said, really? You tell people how to go to heaven? Well, how does a person go to heaven? Now, dear ones, listen to this, okay? I've been telling dad for years how to go to heaven, but he never really was engaged. Whatever that was, he didn't connect. But that night at that restaurant, during that meal, he asked the question, basically, what must I do to be saved? What's the message? So I told him, this is what the Bible says, that God loves you, that Jesus died, he rose again, that to have eternal life is not based on any human efforts, whether they're social good deeds or religious good deeds, but it's based on what Christ did for us on the cross when he died and rose again. And where Jesus said, if you believe in him, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life, you can know you're going to heaven. So I share that with my dad. And, and after I finished up with that message, I said, dad, if you could know right now how to have eternal life, would you like to know? Would you like to trust him right now? And he said, I'm going to put it off for a month. When I thought, oh, no, oh, no, I wanted to do it now. But I knew he wasn't ready. So I teased my dad and I said, well, dad, can you do me a favor between now and next month? And he, he said, well, what is that, son? I said, 
don't die, you know, because I know if he died, he wouldn't go to heaven. Of course, he joked about that. And we let it go. And of course, we continued praying. And those of you that have been where I am in that time in my life, you know what your emotions are. You're nervous about next month because you've already given the message to your family and they've shut it down. And you know, oh, this is going to be such a letdown. I'll bring it up and dad say, I don't remember. What, did I say? I don't remember. Whatever it is, it, it would go nowhere. And I was afraid of that. So met at the same restaurant. This time he wasn't in the bar. He was waiting for me in the lobby. And we went to go sit down. And after we ordered our meal, almost immediately he said, Stan, do you remember what I said last month that I was going to do this month? I thought, yes, I do. This time he really got it. And I said, okay, Dad, you remember that going to heaven was by faith alone in Christ. Would you want to make a decision on this? And he said, Stan, I really would. Do you know what happened? He said, Last month, between the time we met and now, a man gave me a Bible, and I began to read the Bible, and I have some questions. Now, folks, here's what you need to know. My dad never graduated from school. He only has an eighth grade education. He was never a reader. His news came from television, and he'd read little things, but not anything that was anything, really, just light, very light reading that he needed to do. And now he's reading the Bible, and this time it was the King James Version. They didn't have all these other versions. And he said, I came to this passage where Jesus turned the water into the wine. How did he do that? And I thought, that's a legitimate question, but the answer is very simple. How did he do it? He's God. And he does miracles. And this is a miracle. And you know what my dad said? Well, I can believe that. So I said, now, Dad, are you ready to trust Christ? He said, well, you know, I may curse a little bit because I've um, you know, been in the construction and they do that as part of your vocabulary. I said, is cursing a sin? Yep. But when Jesus died on the cross, did he pay for that sin? Yep. So is that sin paid for? Yep. Then do you have to go to hell to pay for it? No. Why? Because he paid for it. And he went through a couple other illustrations like that and questions and all of them came back to the same thing. All sin was paid for for all time when Jesus died on the cross. And now that full forgiveness becomes yours immediately forever when you trust Christ as Savior. So dad said, I'm ready to trust Christ. So right over a bowl of soup at the Round Table restaurant on Hallandale Beach Boulevard, A1A in South Florida, my dad trusted Christ as his Savior. And when it was all done, he lifted up his head. He had tears streaming down his cheek. And this rough and tough, hard to diaper construction worker never cries. And there he is. And he says, oh, Stan, I am so glad that I trusted Christ because you're going to heaven and now I'm going to heaven and we're going to be there forever. See what kind of a dad I had? A humble, gracious, grateful man. I'm so grateful for that. But his next response went like this when I said, you know, dad, you know you're going to heaven and I know I'm going to heaven, but mom doesn't. She needs to know how to go to heaven. And my dad slapped the table and he says, yep, she does. But boy, is that going to be hard? <laughs> well, needless to say, about a year later, my mom also, through another series of events, placed her faith alone in Jesus Christ. And you listeners, as you're listening to me right now, my mom and dad is in heaven at the feet of Jesus because they trusted Christ as their Savior. So what are the lessons? Please trust Christ as your Savior so that you can be with other loved ones in heaven if you have not trusted him yet. And if you have, and you have loved ones that have not trusted Christ as Savior, don't give up on them. Remember, you want to love them to the Lord. You don't have to lead them to the Lord, but they still need to hear the message. So never give up. Bathe them in prayer and look for the opportunities where you can graciously and humbly share that message again, and maybe again, and maybe again, until they trust Christ as Savior, but never give up. 
That reminds me so much of a statement that a friend of ours said one time, Lee Stanford, he once said, I never want to witness to somebody who's not my friend. Mm -hmm. And I think too many of us try and convince somebody through pressure, through just beating on them so much with the gospel that they finally accept it. But as you did with your dad, you took the time to let him know that you love him, that you're not doing this to try and beat him over the head and be a good man. You just wanted him to understand what salvation was so that he too could go to heaven. And I think that's a lesson that we all need to learn and need to uh, live by. So we left off with you in San Antonio, starting the first radio ministry for Make It Clear Ministries. Where did the story go from there? It was kind of unique, John. Why I called it Make It Clear Ministries back then, I'll never know. I could have just called it Make It Clear. I could have called it just Make It Clear Ministry. I have no idea because there was no long-term vision, but I just called it Make It Clear Ministries, uh, plural. It just felt good. I don't know how to explain it. There's no magical voice from heaven. But we only had basically the tracks or the literature and a little small radio program that was going on. But then things began to really get more involved. I began to travel and speak more. So with the speaking, that added another dimension to Make It Clear Ministries because I went out to speak. And of course, we launched a church and a Bible college in San Antonio and thank the Lord for all those people that were with us at the beginning and through it all the way to the end of that until it transitioned into other ministries. God did a great work there and I thank him for all of that. But we did that through Make It Clear Ministry, so it ended up going into that that part of it. Well, then the radio started taking off because more stations wanted to carry us, and I'm grateful for that. And I just say to the listeners, if you know contacts and others that may like to have the Make It Clear broadcast, you would uh, certainly want to you know, connect them, and we'll talk about our radio ministry and all that it has to offer for that. But then it went into the radio ministry part of it. So that really kind of stayed together for the longest period of time was just really that. It would be the literature, the the speaking, and the speaking was not just pulpit supply. It would also seminars and all of that on how to uh, evangelism training and discipleship training and all the other things that went through it, speaking at conferences and camps and, and all of that. And I love it, and I'm so grateful when I'm invited somewhere to speak where I can talk about the Lord and really add value to another person's ministry by doing it. But it laid dormant, and a very unique thing happened uh, soon after that. The Lord brought you into our ministry, John, and with you came spiritual giftedness that God gave you and abilities that God has given to you in the area of technology, the opportunity with a passion to help people come to faith alone in Christ, John, and then to go on to become fully obedient worshipers of the Lord, that you're a visionary and an idea guy, and you really stimulated my thinking in this. And so with all of that and the experiences, you know most of the story that our listeners don't know, but the Lord began to launch various ministries. So then we thought, well, let's go ahead and do something online. So we started to do our media online, and then we thought, well, let's see if we can get it into the Alexa, all that kind of stuff. So we're on Ask Alexa. Then we talked about podcasts. And then from that, we talked, let's add an app. And for those of you that don't, don't know that, just go to your app store and download Make It Clear, just that, Make It Clear, and you can get an app that'll have teaching on it, interviews on it, and all that stuff. So 
I want you to know, you, you brought those ideas to us. And then through how do we want it to do this? We kind of worked it all out. We've had a wonderful relationship with that. And I have to say that you are one of the biggest gifts to make it clear ministries that we've, we've ever had more than money. You have brought uh, what we needed to do to get the message out correctly, clearly, and with urgency. So then that then morphed from doing all of the media that we now had someone that came to us and said, you know, I've been doing, you know, movies, acting, directing, producing, writing, all of that, but I'd like to be a part of your ministry. And he was a graduate of Florida Bible College, Doug Stroop. And so he kind of came to us, the Lord led him to us, but you were the birthing one that kind of, he talked to you, then you talked to me. And we began to put together Make It Clear Studio that's just loaded with the filming part that we do from television to short films, to big films, to what we have new things we want to do as well with that. So we'll talk about that maybe later or another time. But anyway, you brought that to us. And then we decided we might even branch out into doing the television by way of internet. So that's on the drawing board, but it's already starting to happen. So that whole Make It Clear studio. And then we had the idea that there's got to be other ministries out there that from time to time they need a speaker, whether it's at a youth camp or an adult camp or a men's retreat or a ladies retreat or whatever it would be. So we put together Make It Clear Speaking. And these speakers are those that are accurate in the Bible. They are clear on the gospel. They are evangelistic. At the same time, they can communicate the goods and they bring with them a wealth of experience and knowledge in their area of expertise. And so people can call up and whether it's just simple pulpit supply or something that is even uh, more meaningful where they need a speaker for seminars and other things like that. So we added that. And then we realized that we had to get more of our resources out there. So we have Make It Clear Marketplace. Again, you've done a lot of work to set up the marketplace. It's not about a, a money cash cow for Make It Clear. It's just how can we get the material out at the least possible price so the most amount of people can have it in their language. And so we've launched that and that's a continually growing ministry as God is blessing that. Again, the material has to be accurate on the Bible, accurate on the gospel, clear in its presentation, and really have a message that will scratch people where they itch. So we've launched that ministry. And then we realize that we have got to work with the new generation. And so with the others that are on our team, we thank the Lord for them coming aboard and helping us with our student ministry, which is an opportunity to partner with uh, Bible College, Florida Bible College at this time. And what we're doing with them is giving them an opportunity to be grounded in the Word of God on a collegiate level, but also training them and using their giftedness or their, their talent in the area of music, sports, and film. And they spend uh, about six months on the road besides their education working in churches and ministries, adding value to those ministries in our E3 ministry, which would be like a gap year program for that as well. So the Lord has launched that ministry. So it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And we thank the Lord for all of that. So that's Make It Clear Ministries with all those little ministries under it, making one big blast to the world of helping people come to faith alone in Jesus Christ. So long ago, in 1980-something, I don't recall what the exact year was, you created Make It Clear Ministries. And at that time, you had no idea that it would become multiple ministries. It was just a, a, a ring to that name and so forth. And it's just amazing how God has taken that inspiration that you had and multiplied it into multiple ministries that are outreaching people for the gospel worldwide. One of the, the areas that you touched on was this 
make it clear speakers and so forth. And that's not just within the United States. So for instance, you've had a few trips abroad where you've been able to teach and educate various different people with God's word and the gospel. Any one particular one that really stands out to you that you really think was uh, an exceptional trip that you took? All of them seem to be very important because God said that we should take the gospel and the word of God globally. In fact, one of our little mantras here is to take the word of God correctly, clearly, compassionately, courageously, consistently, and cheerfully. Here it is into every person's world. So whether they're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker in our little neighborhood, or whether they're way overseas, we still want to take the word of God to them. So we're always open to do international travel. And we know that with the climate of the world today, with the virus and other things going on, that uh, that is being morphed and massaged. And we're always waiting to do this. We're not going to huddle up and be so afraid. We can't. But at the same time, we want to work prudently and serve prudently. So we have been all over the world. And I really mean that. We're talking money. Mongolia, Myanmar, Indonesia. We've been overseas to China, different Asian countries as well, and over into Europe. So I thank the Lord for those opportunities. But the, what, what takes me into these countries is a desire to equip the new generation. Now, we will give the gospel when they bring us into a country and we, they give us a church service, and we'll certainly do that. But often I'm brought into places where they're trying to equip the new generation of leaders. And if they, if they give me a choice of what I can speak on. Generally, I speak on the following. One, I speak on, again, evangelism and discipleship. So it doesn't just become a platform ministry. It becomes personal evangelism. So the leaders are taught that it's what you do personally, not what you merely do publicly that counts on the clarity and accuracy and the urgency of the gospel. The second area that I come in to teach on is in the area of homiletics, because I want to work with church planters, but I want them to be doctrinally sound, but at the same time, knowing how to shepherd people and use the Word of God in a communicating way that will really help people to understand the Word. So homiletics is the proper way to study the Bible, interpret the Bible, as well as to communicate the Word of God. Now, hermeneutics is just the study of it. Homiletics takes it to the next level, which is all of that, but also how do you prepare messages? How do you teach? How do you preach? And how do you speak? So I do that on an international level. And then the third area is just on leadership development. I'm finding one of the big areas in churches today is they want to talk about, this is important, membership, getting people knowing the importance of participating with one another. They love talking about edified and maturity, which is very important to small groups, etc. I highly, I fly that flag for that. And then they talk about the importance of evangelism, local and global. And I'm grateful for those that still do missions and take their people out on missions. And they're really high on worship. They know that often that's at the center of it all. But after all that's done, the one area that's often the most overlooked is what are they doing to raise up leaders within their church or ministry or even Christian leaders in the what we might call the business professional world. And so there is biblical principles on leadership. Obviously, our model is Christ. And obviously, we begin by being a servant unto all, but they're not taught the major leadership principles. So when we go into a foreign country, we want to make sure we teach at least those three things. evangelism, and then we talk about how to communicate it, and then thirdly, the importance of leadership development. Of course, that spills over on church growth, church health, but I don't want to make in a foreign field an American church. What we want to bring into the foreign field is a biblically healthy church with that. So 
I've enjoyed it all. If I had a country that if I could get into, and I've been in it many times, I think we need to not forget the importance of China. That is not to say any other country is different. It didn't say going to all the world, but especially China. It says everywhere. But when I think in my natural mind, because China, we know, is affecting the world. Who can deny that? You can't deny that. Whatever they're doing, they're affecting the world, good or bad, mostly not so good. But that being the case, we need to reach the people in China to give them a spiritual governor in their life, which would be the word of God, and to be able to look at things through the lens of a biblical worldview. So I really have a passion for China and uh, making sure they understand that. But it's not limited there, John. I, we, we need to go everywhere and anywhere that we possibly can to get that message out. Well, most of this time that we've talked, it's been about the past. How did Make It Clear come about? What has happened with Make It Clear? But look into the future. Where do you see Make It Clear going? I mean, obviously, we have a limited time on earth ourselves here. And I know your dream or your hope is that Make It Clear far outlives you. Mm -hmm. So what is your thoughts and hopes for Make It Clear as the future uh, progresses? I'm glad you asked that. A lot of people would say, do you want to have this ministry or that building or be in that city? And, you know, those are things that we have to talk about. And we may even in this conversation, but what drives me is a little bit deeper than that. I know that the health of a ministry is planted within the heart of those that are serving in the ministry. I also know that the seeds of the failure of a ministry is planted in its inception. So since we're mere mortals and we still have a, a heart that's deceitful of all things, desperately wicked, I know that within and around, etc., there's always going to be the enemy. The enemy from within, which is our flesh, the enemy from without, which is going to be, of course, the world system and all of that. And of course, Satan, the unseen enemy, but is very active in our life. So I'm aware of that. So when I I say, what is our vision? And I know he's always going to be attacking us. I know our greatest weapon against all of that is going to be a heart that is filled with the fullness of God. And to do that, to know it is the God of the Bible, we have to be filled with the fullness of God's word. We need to have the living word and the written word in our heart. Now, that being said, my passion is that those who serve with us, that we identify as part of the Make It Clear team. And that would include all those ministries, plus the Make It Clear associates, those that are doing their own ministry, but Make It Clear is partnering with them to help them. My desire is that that we would always be self-protecting, self-encouraging, self-admonishing, self-comforting when they're hurting so that those that are in places of influence and make it clear are healthy people because the ministry will only go as far fastest when we are spiritually healthy. So that is on my mind morning, noon, and night that we are not a critical spirit. I don't have any mind that somebody on staff is sinning, but I want to make sure that they are properly shepherded by thus by those of us who are in this role and that they're involved in good quality Bible teaching churches. So that that's one. Number two is um and John, you know this. I'm a visionary. I just I think about stuff all day long. I can't shut my mind off. My my wife tells me flip the switch. I can't do that. Yeah, and I'm always afraid when you say I've been thinking. I've been thinking. That's true. But you and I know that we don't really sit there in a in a garage and try to storyboard what we want to do with the ministry. It like it it comes to us. Doors are open to us. The Lord brings ideas to us. You know, John, how many times we came up with something because someone brought it to us. It wasn't like we did it, but it fit the paradigm 
of the ministry of Make It Clear that God has shaped. And so it fits right in. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have any ideas and we're sitting around going, duh. It's, it's, we have some ideas, but those ideas we come up with, we're very careful. To remember, are they really of the Lord or not? And just we're very careful with that. So we do have some dreams. I We have a lot of ministries to help people, but I want to make sure that we have a strong leadership development, an educational arm of Make It Clear that can provide and equip people to serve in a local church, to come alongside the local church, to be interns in the local church, then from the local church to continue doing the ministry outward that would be, again, biblically accurate, very clear to understand on all levels, and that is urgent because I believe we are living in the last days. So we have those. So we need to strengthen our educational arm. I also see that... um, uh, social media or the internet is what I call a blessing and a curse. And where it's a curse, I really know how dangerous it is. And I, I, I'm going to qualify that. I really don't know how dangerous it is. I just know it's dangerous. On the other side of it, we can't walk away from it because it can be used as a tool. Guns and knives are very, very dangerous and probably more dangerous than we even know that they are. But at the same time, they can be a tool if we use them properly. So I want to make sure that we don't neglect what can be done through social media and the Internet and what we can do through media to be able to get the word of God out. And again, the purpose of that is to help people come to faith alone in Christ and then grow to become a fully mature, obedient worshiper of God. And that comes through the ministry of the local church, whether an existing church that we're helping to become stronger or a church plant in an area where there is no solid Bible teaching church. So that's our vision as we continue to move forward. And on a personal note, which you and the staff already know, I'm always looking at the time that there will be where I can't give as much energy because of my age or health or whatever might happen to Carol or me in, in those areas. I want to make sure that we always have someone that is shepherding the ministry according to the vision that God has given us in the past that is rock solid and sound in theology and doctrine, but has a very tender heart to, to those people who are disenfranchised and lost and literally cannot give anything back to the ministry. And so we're always wanting to develop our leadership along those lines in their giftedness and talent and abilities and experience and personality and all that. We've been talking for quite some time, and we could probably go on for hours, Stan. Just have a couple more questions that I think I want to ask, and then then we'll kind of get it wrapped up. We recently did a, an interview with uh, somebody, and one of the things that was talked about on that interview was the fact that this person was going into perhaps an area that some Christians would consider, oh, I, I can't go there. Mm-hmm. And we kind of talked about that, and I think that also, with Make It Clear Studios, for instance, many people may say, well, you know, Hollywood is just a horrible place to be. Now, we don't do our filming in Hollywood. doesn't mean we never will. But just that industry has a bad rap to Christians. Can you speak a little bit on going into areas that might be marginal to some people? Yes, and I'm going to always go back again. Um, Satan is a dirty bird. We know that. He is very diabolical, and we will never fully know him, and I don't want to spend my whole life learning about Satan. I know that when I draw close to the Lord, Satan will flee from me, although he'll do it by kicking and screaming, and I'll have issues. But here's my point. Um, Satan is so in our life that we don't have to be in, in Hollywood 
that has basically taken over and is the champion and the beachhead for a secular worldview and a truly anti-God, not a non-God, but an anti-God attitude. As bad as that is, Satan can work on us and we can be so complacent where we are that we forget that Satan has already done a job on us. You know, we're okay. We don't need to read our Bible. We're, we're okay. We can go to church when we want to. Oh, we, we're, it's okay. We can just watch church online and, and, and all that. And all of a sudden we get real soft to the passionate war that we're in to get the gospel out to them because Satan's got us now. So that could be just as dangerous is someone who goes into a, a very um, a secular worldview that is completely run by Satan and is just uh, filled with glitz and glamour, and we now are, are, are deceived into the glitz and the glamour, and we don't see how really dangerous that is. So both of those areas become uh, hell holes for Satan, uh, strongholds for Satan, if we don't really follow and get close to the Lord to become strong. So that being said now, the Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It says to go and make disciples of all nations. I get that. But not the nation where the people are really into uh, demon worship, into the world that there's a lot of uh, sensual, sexual lust and perversion. Don't go into that world, but you can go into the safer world that's more within. It never said that. It said to make disciples of all nations wherever they are. Now, to do that, that means we have to go into those nations. And let me just say the word nations there means people groups. So what are people groups? Is it going to be cultures or is it going to be ethnicity? Is it going to be races? I really believe there's only one race. It's the human race. Okay. Do I believe there's many cultures? Yes. And most cultures are driven by world influence. Okay. A secular worldview. So now all that biblically said, then part of my world has got to be even in the strongholds of Satan. But I need to remember God gives us protection. What is it called? The armor of God. Who do we have? We have the Holy Spirit. What do we have? The word of God is our sword. So we have all the protection necessary to go into those horrible environments where people are, are enslaved and held captive in that. And the only solution is to give them the gospel accurately, clearly, and urgently. And to do that, you have to connect in order to correct. Now, connect doesn't mean you have to act like them, but it does mean they have hurts, habits, hangups. They have needs. And we go into those environments. We love on those people without being like them. You don't have to be a horse to judge a horse show. We get that. But you have to, in order to judge a horse, you still got to go to a horse show. You got to help them. So we have to connect. But our purpose for connecting is so that eventually we can correct. And the biggest correction we can have them have is to change their mind. That's the repentant me change their thinking so they transfer what they're trusting in or what they're denouncing that they would now turn to the true and living God Jesus Christ and especially his work on the cross that gives the power for total transformation when they trust Christ as Savior so for me going into Hollywood is you need to go into Hollywood with your eyes wide open not to look at the sin there and want to become like it but at the same time to open your eyes and look at the reason they're in that is because of a deceitful heart a secular worldview and a very powerful Satan and those people they can be redeemed out of that how do we know that just read the New Testament particularly the works of Christ just in the Gospels alone. If he could do that then, and he did, he can do that now, and he will, and he is. And so for us to go into these environments with our eyes wide open, we can certainly do that if we go in properly armored up.
So as we draw to a close, Dan, I, I just want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you, you feel like you would like to express about, make it clear about your life, about the gospel, anything? What would you have to say? Well, people often ask, what do you, what do you really need? And of course, the, the biggest thing that I need, I need wisdom. I need discernment in my personal life. I need to be able to um, have a deeper and greater and, and complete, accurate understanding of Scripture. I need to make sure I keep my, my spiritual habits in order so that I'm uh, doing what I should be for growing. But as far as the ministry grows, obviously we need to have prayer. And I pray that those who are listening, that you would pray that we would remain uh, clear on the gospel, that we would be bold in our presentation of it that we would look for opportunities that God is opening up for for the furtherance of the word of God as it would go forth, that we would pray for people. Big picture is pray for the world. Little picture, but more important is pray for people by name, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, those who we work with, and begin to pray for them that they would come to faith alone in Jesus Christ. We need to do that, and we need to do that to others. On a ministry level, what we need, uh, I I'm only bringing this out as a need to you all. We're not asking for you to do this, but if you would just think about us in prayer and if the Lord touches your heart, you can let us know. One is we certainly would love to add to the staff and team of Make It Clear Ministries. We have areas that we could have you help us in. All of our team, this may shock you now, they all raise their own support. And so that may cancel out many of you. What it does do, it raises up and picks up out of the Christian a family, faith family out there, people that says, you know what, I can raise my own support. I've got some folks I can work with. Will you help me learn how to do that? But I want to work with Make It Clear. If you would like to know more about that, you can contact us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Tellmemore at makeitclear.org. The other thing that is really important is that we have been operating satellite, and we will continue to do that satellite. We have staff in Georgia. We have got them in Texas. We've got them up in Ohio. They're, they're all around, but we still need to have a building. We need one central location for a building. And if you'd like to know where we're looking at, what we're praying about, you then contact us again at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. We could really use that. So our resources would be in personal resources and uh, facility resource that would help us as we continue to expand what we're doing. But folks, just thank you for listening. I know this was a long uh, session. It really gave a lot to you. And I pray that the Lord is using this to bring himself to you and make himself known to you that God so loved the world and that's you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. And he gave him to us when he was born, how he lived his life, but then how he died and rose again. He gave his life so that he could forgive you of all sin. And by placing your faith in him, in him, not just have faith. It's not faith and works. It's not works. It's just faith, but it's faith in him, Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Then you will not perish. The outward man will, but not the inward man, and you'll have everlasting life. If you have any questions, any comments you'd like to make, any ideas you want to share with John or me, then just reach us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Folks, I really love you, and I'm as close as your phone or your computer or your device where you can reach out to us. So let us know how we can help you as you continue in your journey with Jesus Christ. Well, thank you, Stan, for giving me the opportunity to be able to have this little chat and session with you. I feel that it's something that many people will listen to and perhaps understand more what Make It Clear is about and who you are. And just to close, Stan, can you tell people how they can find out more information about Make It Clear? Certainly. 
Uh, obviously, you can go to our, our, our the app and listen to us there. But the best thing that you can do would be to go to our website. It's a very simple one to memorize if you don't have something to write on. And that would be makeitclear.org. That's just simply makeitclear.org. And have fun going through our website. It's not complicated. It's easy. They have buttons all across there about all of our ministries. Open up those different uh, menus there. See who's out there and what they're doing. Look at our associates one. That'll tell you all the different ones and the ministries that they're involved in. Look at our speakers in case you need a speaker. If you want to know more about radio and what we're doing there, especially our, our studio, the things that we're doing with our The Bible Says, what a wonderful vignette of, of film clips that are specifically designed to help young people to develop deeper, healthier relationships with God, with their families, and with one another. And then our very special, the issues and answers for today, where we take questions and then we answer them, and we do it in a very uh, easy, relaxed way, but to help you gain insights just from that program. And then a new movie that we're working on now, it's called My Name is Melissa. This will be a full-length motion picture in theaters, and it's a very strong, very edgy, but very strong proponent of pro-life. And if you want to know more about My Name is Melissa, you can find out about that. Just go to our website, go to the studio a link on that. They'll give you information, and uh, we'd like to hear from you. If you want to get on our mailing list, like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, because a lot of stuff is going out there, and our ministry is alive and active and healthy and vibrant, so stuff is coming all the time. But that way you'll learn, again, how the gospel needs to be given out accurately, clearly, and with urgency. So, John, thanks a lot. That's makeitclear.org. Well, thanks, everybody, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this time. And as Stan always says, until next time, remember to make it clear. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear. P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.